Happy New Year to everyone in the entire world. Uh, my name is Matt Feuerstein, and this is List Them and Learn, first episode of 2016. I am officially still alive as of 2016 at the beginning, so go me. Um, so uh, for a very special New Year's edition of this show, I have got together the CubsFan.com all-stars, minus the Cubs fan himself, uh, <laughs> Two guys that um, – they're basically my, my two dads that I'm trying to get together parent trap style because they uh, obviously have not spent enough time recording podcasts with each other recently. But you can't have one without the other. They are – in the wrestling podcast world, they are the Bonnie and Clyde, the Abbott and Costello, the Kane and Abel, the Undertaker and Kane, the uh, Carter and Mondale. Uh, obviously, I'm talking about Justin Shapiro and Joe Gagne and um, – I wanted to have them on because they are what I would refer to as the year's masters. And since this is a new year, we are going to be counting down the top 10 best years in WWE history. History. So I first want to say hello to everyone's favorite dad, Joe Gagne. How are you? So if this is Parent Trap style, are there two mats out there kind of conspiring? <laughs> Twins? Hmm. Have you have I recorded a show with you, but you your twin has recorded one with Justin at some point? <laughs> Not going to reveal the big reveal too okay. early. Justin, right. welcome. Yes. Happy New Year. I don't know where to start, Matt. Are you sure that you and I are not the twins, and then Joe and the Cubs fan are the parents' trap? I mostly want to know which one of you is the Mondale. <laughs> And of course, the Cubs fan not going to any All Star games because the Cubs is bad at baseball. Man. <laughs> Didn't they come in second in the in the league in the hmm. National League? I don't know. I mean, like, I believe the Pirates beat them in, a, in an important game. But they were in the NLCS. I'm not misremembering that, right? Yeah, but I think you are because I wouldn't be misremembering that the Pirates <laughs> beat them in an important game. Okay. The Pirates from Pittsburgh, where I live. Hey. I think your hometown affiliations are affecting your memory in this situation. Shut up, fellow yearsman. <laughs> yeah. The yearsmans. Uh, all right, so top oh, ten. Oh, so this, this isn't a year in review show. It's a years in review show. Yeah, you're going to have to spend about 15 hours talking about all 10 of the years on your lists in as much depth as you normally discuss a year with each other. <laughs> so are you ready for that? Have you I'm gotten ready? your rations? I don't know. I don't have a lot of rationale for many of my choices, but you mm. can press me on them and see what happens. I understand completely. Yeah, I, I thought this was an interesting thought experiment in the sense that comparing years from, uh, say, like 1982 to 2015 is um, neither of those are on my list, but just uh, just an interesting thought experiment in comparing those because you know the output in each varied so greatly. Yes, I actually wanted to ask do because I I know that I do not. Do either of you feel qualified to? be assessing full years prior to the Hulk Hogan era slash national expansion? No, I thought about being cute and like thinking about when Superstar Graham was champ or something, yeah. but I didn't I didn't live through it. I didn't experience it. I don't feel fit to judge, so nothing before Hogan like, on my list. Yeah, and same here. I, I figure even though it's best WWE years in history, it's really like best years in WWE from like the WrestleMania era, I would say, right? Like 30 years, past 30 years yeah. pretty much are going on. Justin... Justin, did you put 1971 on your list? <laughs> no, I hardly feel even qualified to rate the important 80s years because I was such a b b little little child then. Yes, but we I don't... feel like I've lived through them in retrospect. Yeah, yeah, we don't have lives. We've seen all that stuff. Come on. Yeah. 
Um, so the the idea is that we're going based on the creative slash artistic merit of a given year. Meaning, I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna penalize a year if business was terrible. If I really thought all the stuff that year was great, but I am going in the when it comes to art, the artistic slash creative level, I'm factoring in everything, whether it be in the ring and promos, characters. Um, angles, you know, all that stuff. And I'm, you know, trying to find years that were as good as possible from beginning to end. And if you really look, there's really no year that doesn't have a period where it kind of sucked for a little while. Uh, you know, there there were years where it would, that period was shorter than others, but I think every year had something crappy in it, so we're not going to find the perfect year. But we're going to, you know, we're going to try to get as close as we can. Um, so, if you guys are ready, I, I guess I'll go first. And right. then say because you guys people want to know what you guys think, so I'll 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 save sure. I'll save that for after. So my year number ten is uh, 1992, um, which was the year that I think is best defined by Ric Flair being in the WWF, winning the Royal Rumble at the beginning, uh, having a great match with Savage at WrestleMania eight, uh, WrestleMania eight having a couple really good matches. Uh, it uh, you know had the really excellent double main event at SummerSlam '92 with Savage and Warrior and Bulldog and Bret Hart. Um, even had a really good some really good stuff near the end of the year. Could Bret won the title? It kind of signified a new era for the company. Had the really great Mr. Perfect face turn angle, which is one of the best face turns I think they ever did. Um, just lots of great stuff with Flair. The only reason that it's not higher for me is because it had some real heinous bullshit that year. Um, notably Ultimate Warrior and um, and Papa Shango. There's also the Berserker <laughs> trying to stab the Undertaker to death with a sword. Um, but, you know, beyond that, there's lots of great stuff. I mean, this, this was still the tail end of the Jake Roberts um, Macho Man angle, and there was still some really good stuff from him. Jake locking the Undertaker's hand in the casket and the Undertaker dragging the casket. Just lots of great moments from that year. Um, just the really bad stuff was really, really, really bad, but, but there was a lot of great stuff too. I even have fond memories of the Nails debut where he just beat the crap out of the big boss, man. That was pretty intense. So a great year, number 10 on my list. Uh, what do you guys say? I had it, uh, it's number seven on my list and you touched upon a lot of, um, my points. They had a strong, like Pretty much every pay-per-view was at least decent. I mean, some were excellent. One of the better Rumble shows they ever did. And uh, the rise of Brett and Sean as singles wrestlers. This was, the, I mean, the first Hoganless year since uh, pretty much 1983. And it was just so entertaining, which I think is interesting. And, uh, yeah, you covered a lot. I mean, the, as far as negatives go, the tag team scene was dreadful during the whole year. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, was no good. But, that, I mean, that's really, like, the big negative I have on the year. It was just so much good stuff, so much talent. And, uh an interesting shift in an important year in company history. Agreed. Justin, what do you think? 1992. I'm so glad I can get my clickbaity answers out of the way first. I don't have 92 on the list, bitch. Oh. It's just four pay-per-views. Everything else was horrible. The connective <laughs> tissue is horrible. I, I don't agree with that. Oh. I, I listed a few really good angles from non-pay-per-views. I'm just going to move on with my trolling. Um... So, yeah, I think it, it's only – remember, I'm playing a character who's trolling you. But So mm-hmm. what works is the WWF pattern, and this was the year the pattern is broken, and it's like, whoa, what's going on? But I don't think that was a like a, a liberation so much as it was a big vacuum of confusion and steroids and scandals and 
people disappearing and just scrambling to fill that void. And it made their booking uh, a lot more unpredictable, which was a first in, you know, seven years of Vince Jr. times. But that doesn't necessarily mean it was good just because Ric Flair won the Royal Rumble. I am trolling you. I will say that if you just observe WWF 1992 by reading the Wrestling Observer, it is one of the worst years in their history in terms of just like one scandal after another when it comes to steroids. That was the year of like the big sex stuff. I mean, it was a disastrous year outside of the creative aspects of the company, but it actually makes it all the more remarkable that they were able to put so much good stuff on TV. And they really did put a lot of good stuff on TV. Bad stuff too. But yeah, there, were a, there were a lot of memorable angles that year. Don't forget, that was also the year where Shawn Michaels had one of the most memorable heel turns of all time. Sid had a really memorable, if uh, kind of formulaic, heel turn. There was this, this was a year of pretty memorable stuff. And probably in the ring, maybe the best or second best year up to that point of the Hogan era. Maybe not. But in terms of major matches, it was, I think. Joe Gagne. Oh. Yeah, go ahead. What's your number 10? My number 10, this will go over well, is 1984. All right. Now, you start out the year, January 23rd, Hulk Hogan wins the title, one of the most iconic moments in company history. You had a lot of new talent coming in. It was kind of the, kind of, there were between eras of the old style WWF and the rock and wrestling days. You had Roddy Piper coming in, starring Piper's Pit, where you had the famous shows with Frankie Williams and uh, the Jimmy Snuka leading to that feud. You had Sergeant Slaughter's face turn and the boot camp matches against the Iron Sheik, probably one best matches they had in the 80s. You had Tito Santana starting his feud with Greg Valentine over the IC title, which is one of the best working feuds of that era. Now, I can't really recommend a full show to watch around this time. That I mean, pretty much every show has some bad stuff. Like, you know, on that Hogan uh, January 23rd show, there's a match between Sal Belomo and Paul Orndorff that goes like 13 minutes that they actually put on the greatest stars of the 80s DVD. So, I, I mean, well, that's why yeah. I have it so low. Because, I mean... For that, ma- for that match in particular. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the good stuff this year is so good and so iconic, I think uh, it makes the list. But I would be far from, I would be remiss to say it's not uh, a great top to bottom year. Justin, what do you think of 1984? I mean, besides, besides the whole Big Brother thing. <laughs> yeah, it seems very scary times. Those giant screens. Speaking of Walter Mondale, right? Julia seemed cool, but. Um, yeah, I. I uh, I guess we'll get to some more of the 80s stuff. I didn't really know how to evaluate it in the list-based concept, even though it is our only job here. Because, like Joe said, if you nationally expand successfully, that's got to get you something, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, your shit was working on some level. Um, yeah, I, uh, I guess I'll just reserve further statement until we chunk into some more of those 80s years. But that, um, hmm, I... Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll let you off the yeah, hook. Yeah, go ahead. I'll let you off the hook. Well, um, I was going to make a point, but then I realized that I wouldn't have anything to say later, so... Okay. Um, I'd hate to go sign it on you later. Fair enough. Um, I have a couple of 80s years on my list, but 1984 is not one of them. But I, uh, if it would probably be next, you know, as far as the 80s years, as far as the years I don't have on my list. Um, it's... Uh, you know, it's like they're really figuring out what their 80s model is, you know, with the whole rock and wrestling thing, which didn't really last the whole time, but it kind of set the tone. You know, obviously it started the year with Hogan's win. As far as iconic moments, it's pretty huge. Whether you have um, Piper, that was, I mean, that was when at the end of the year, Piper uh, smashed the record over Captain Lou's head and body slammed uh, was David Wolf. Wolf. 
With David yeah. Wolf, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they had the, the brawl to end it all, uh, the coconut with Piper and and uh, Snooka. A lot of, you know, pretty memorable Piper-Snooka matches. Really excellent um, matches between the Iron Sheik and Sergeant Slaughter also. So they some really good stuff in the ring, too. But also pretty crappy year in the ring in a lot of other respects. Um, they kind of... You know, a lot of the guys that they brought in from other territories were kind of homogenized when they got to the WWF. Um, and I feel like that was a year where they really de-emphasized what was going on in the ring. It really became about the big the big guys with the muscles and stuff. But they also debuted... That was a the year they debuted TNT, right? I'm trying to remember. I don't know if it was quite 84. Maybe in early 85, because that's when they unrolled a lot of uh, this stuff. Let me see if I can... Find out quickly. But in the meantime, I know Jesse debuted that year. Bobby Heenan debuted that year. Okerlund, I think, debuted at the end of 83, but I could be wrong about that. Um, nope. It was, uh, yeah, it was 84. So, yeah, so, yep. so TNT debuted. So it was the year where they really, like, the modern WWF came into existence. So it's a very important year. I just, the the booking and production style of that year just it's hard for me to really relate to you know you watch other promotions from that era and they just they hold up so much better um, mm-hmm. in terms of like the the action and the pacing and the storytelling um, so that's the only reason that it didn't go higher but I recognize it as an extremely important and valuable and good year for the WWF so I uh, I respect that being on the list. Um, Justin, what about you? Number 10. Okay, part of the reason I have been nervous and scared up to this point is because I didn't want to do <laughs> two antagonistic ones in a row, but I'm, we'll just get them out of the way. My number 10 is the, the year of our Lord, 1999. Um, the year oh. that almost drove Matt away from wrestling. <laughs> um, so here's why. I dropped it right at the bottom, just so... Because I, I could be dead by the time we cover this year with you, Joe, in the podcast. So I to, <laughs> a year or two. I wanted, two. wanted to most. make my points now ahead of time and say that even though 1999 is a nadir in a lot of ways for people who like to see wrestlers wrestling, it is like a year where Russo went increasingly crazier and they doubled his workload and it just got so bizarre. Crash television uh and and WrestleMania was basically an episode of Raw but so if the crowds are that hot and the wrestlers on top are that charismatic and both categories of which could be classified as the most ever respectively then friends that's just professional wrestling right that's what you're striving for and um so if 1980s WWF can be praised and enjoyed for for being uh, successful and, and good booking for babies, then 1999 can be the same thing for rude teens in Cartman shirts. <laughs> um, and I, I will say, at least the, the WrestleMania part, Russo-Rian diversions notwithstanding, the parallel booking of Rock and Austin to get them to their big match with each other was, was pretty strong. Um, and if you, uh, can tolerate really long, boring matches and still find something to enjoy in, uh, some of the Hulkamania, uh, years we're going to talk about, then maybe you can also find a place in your heart for, 
really, really short matches, like just a couple of minutes long a lot of the time. And I'm really just trying to keep talking to not give anyone a chance to reply to me, but I've run out of things to say. Go ahead. Joe, I'll let you go first because, you know. <laughs> I did not have 1999 on my list because it was a terrible year for wrestling. I'm sorry. I mean, I suppose they accomplished their goals. They were wildly profitable, but uh, even they seem to be somewhat embarrassed by 1999 at this point. <laughs> and all those people, all those teens and Cartman shirts are long gone. And what we're left with is a year of bad wrestling and, uh, and not good angles. You made an... Far better case for 1999 than I could ever have anticipated, but uh, I do not have it on my list, and it would be not close to being on mine. Yeah, I mean the the the, the pretty much the selling points of 1999 is they were very successful, granted, and they had The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, granted. Um, other than that, I just said the comparison with the 80s years, I just don't buy. The booking in the 80s made sense, and that's. Really, I think all I need to say. And also, I don't think those 80s angles were for babies. I think they were just like middle-of-the-road wrestling angles, um, not even really that dumbed down compared to like maybe recent WWE, which is a little bit more actively for babies. And probably in the like the early to mid-90s, like 93, 94, 95, they kind of kiddied it up even a little bit more. But the, I, I wouldn't say that Hogan era was necessarily for babies. There were aspects of it that were targeted toward kids for sure, the characters and such. And the characters <laughs> in 1999 were not. But again, the booking didn't make any sense. The matches were almost all bad. Um, Jericho debuted, and that was cool. That was really cool. And, and mm. they still had they st- the 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 biggest advantage they had in 99 besides the existence of Steve Austin and The Rock is that. They were still in the era where Monday night was automatically like electric, um, especially the because they were still going live every other week. So especially the live weeks, like I mean, they were it was electric before they did anything. So they had a lot of goodwill to burn up, and because of that, they still had some good raws. But they had some terrible episodes of Monday Night Raw that year. Um, some terrible angles. I mean, like I could just like where to Stephanie, ha 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 ha, that stuff. Um, you know, the greater power we don't have to go into, the briefcase, um, just just all kinds of stuff. The initial Triple H push, which was which was a bomb at first. Um, the Ministry of Darkness in general and the what what would they do when they debuted? They like carved a symbol into Midian. I, I mean I could think of a lot of stuff. I mean, so many of these characters from ninety nine became cool after Russo left in like September, October, 99, it was like an instant. Like the, a lot of the stuff they were doing was not working. They were kind of riding a wave and they were riding the two hottest characters in the history of wrestling television, uh, at least the modern history of wrestling television. So it's hard for me to give them too much credit. Um, you know, there was good stuff, but oh, so bad. I mean, that Royal Rumble, uh, WrestleMania was such a disaster. I mean... You know, that was the obviously the Owen Hart year, which I'm not necessarily going to hold against them from an artistic standpoint, but not the best handled thing in the world. Um, what, him? The the <laughs> aftermath of his death, I guess, Uh-oh. is what I would I say. I thought you meant his hard ass wasn't the best handled thing. <sighs> you said it. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, uh, SummerSlam was, I guess, pretty good. Oh, they had the, they had the, Kennel in a Cell match, too. So that's another really bad thing from that year. Um, the cooking of pepper. Yeah. Uh, 
Justin, Justin, <laughs> Justin, I respect you, but I do not respect your choices. <laughs> now wait, because I write Rock Austin, yes. Also, Vince McMahon. Yes, Vince McMahon. True. Um, and then Mick Foley did kind of break down after he did his WrestleMania stretch, but he was there and he won the championship and he got to main event against uh, The Rock. They traded the world title like seven times in two months. Um, <laughs> but if you ask me and Russo, it's realistic that the championship would, would change that many times. Yeah, the um, Foley winning the title on Raw was the best moment of the year and technically it was taped in 1998. <laughs> but um, yeah, if I was going to list like great moments from 99, it would be that. Um, probably the Vince versus Austin cage match was a pretty great moment. Um, Austin versus The Rock, the second one at um, at Backlash, that was a good match. Uh, Jericho's debut, the Hardy Boys ladder match. Uh, uh, I guess that's about it. And Kurt Angle debuted at the end of the year, and he was already pretty good. Um, so that's something. But really, I mean, we'll talk about it, obviously, but... The difference between that year and the years that it is sandwiched between is pretty amazing. This feud of Austin McMahon, though, that I think it it actually is properly blown off in the context of like crazy Russo fever dream because they screw him out of the title at the end of the year before, and then he beats Vince, and then he beats The Rock, and then he beats The Rock in a rematch, and then he makes Vince go away forever. And the, I don't think they feuded again after that, so success. Number 10 year. Mm. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh. Um, there was, you know, there was a good period, like in the spring, before the uh, the greater power thing was revealed and before, you know, everything went crazy after Owen Hart died, um, where, like, Vince was made his face turn, and that was pretty satisfying. And the whole corporate ministry thing, it was a lot better than the Ministry of Darkness. There was some satisfying stuff. They just didn't actually go with it. Uh, the the spot where The Rock takes the video camera and he's panning the crowd and then he turns to Stone Cold, who gives him a stutter while he's holding the camera. Might bump this to 11 at most, but not top 10 for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, I think I'm ready to go on to number nine. And uh, my number nine is the only year from this decade that I have in my list. And I'm curious to see if you guys would agree with me of it standing just in like the 2010s alone, and that is 2012. Um, and I have 2012 because I feel like a bunch of good stuff on pay-per-view, um, good WrestleMania. They had um, they had uh, the one of the best pay-per-views ever in uh, what was it? Extreme Rules 2012. With that was the one with uh, Lesnar and Cena. Um, Punk had a pretty banner year. You know, where he made his heel turn and finished off the year really strong. Um, very, pretty good year for Cena, I'd say. Um, solid year in the ring. Um, you know, just a, just a memorable year. The coming out of Daniel Bryan as not gay, but a really excellent uh, entertainer overall. And I think he made himself very valuable throughout that year. The the whole hugging stuff was actually, as far as camp goes, pretty good camp. Um, so, uh that's my top year of the decade so far, as far as like beginning to end. And I think CM Punk might have had the best year of anyone in the WWE of this decade in 2012. Um, thoughts, uh, Joe? Uh, that was also the year where John Laurinaitis headlined a pay-per-view and Daniel Bryan lost in uh, 18 seconds. And it was, um, 
Yeah, there were a lot of. Uh, I mean, it's it's not a bad year. It didn't make my list, but I just saw. It just seems to lose the. Um, I mean, the good stuff is very early in the year, I think, and then it kind of fall. It fell a bit for me, so it didn't make mine. Though I didn't have any. I mean. I didn't have anything from this decade. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. It did end with a kick-ass pay-per-view with TLC. Um, and, oh, the debut of The Shield. That's another big one from that year. Mm. Um, Justin, what do you think What do you think of 2012? I got very excited for a second to get back on the same side as you, Matt, um, although mine was 2013 at number nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, for largely the same reasons. I wasn't sure which of the two to pick, and I felt like um, 2013 benefited from a lot of the work that 2012 put in as far as like uh, putting Punk and Heyman together and, and getting Brian ready to take off to bigger things. Um, and then I think I, I chose 13 for kind of the reasons Joe said, the, the Laurinaitis and Tensai hiccup and things like that <laughs> occurred to me. Um, and also 2013... Um, I guess I am lumping it all together because I was thinking of, like, I associate this period with um, Punk and Daniel Bryan and The Rock, of all people, and they were all together on that Raw 1000 Mm -hmm. uh, segment. But So this was sort of the end of The Rock's contribution to WWE in his return and sort of a minor backlash against him at this point, or at least the idea of him... Uh, either wrestling John Cena again or beating that hallowed CM Punk for his record championship or both. Uh, but nevertheless, he did come back and, and work like three matches. And I think having Rock around helped WWE in a big way and bailed them out um, to the extent of which possibly continues to be felt today. But above all else, um, Daniel Bryan versus The Shield matches. There's like, I don't know, half a dozen of them at least, and those were just the great ones and not the routine ones that filled up uh, multiple segments of uh, the first full year of three-hour Raws. Ooh, maybe this wasn't a good idea. But uh, so, yeah, The Shield and Bryan together get it on the list. The fact that then Bryan becomes a main eventer, what? And the fact that... um, that fall with Daniel Bryan versus the Authority is rightfully considered so dire and inexplicable. But as it was happening, it was so exciting for me to see Daniel Bryan in that spot because little did I know what was to come. And it was actually the perfect dynamic. They were just apparently unaware of what needed to be done with it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, 2012 goes ahead of 2013 for me because that that fall was so dreadful in 2013. Mm. And I don't think there was anything quite that bad in 2012. I guess maybe the period where it was mostly Cena versus Laurinaitis. But it didn't seem to stretch as long. It wasn't as dire and depressing. So I would put 2012 ahead. Um, but uh, but I, I guess... I, oh, I'm sorry. No, but I see where, where you're coming from. I do think those shield Brian matches were good. But I didn't feel the creative creative direction was as satisfying. Um yeah, 2012 had a lot of good points. Also, 2012 had a better WrestleMania. Um, it probably had a worse Royal Rumble, but I don't totally remember the Royal Rumble. I remember Sheamus winning was lame, um, but you know, but it it made up for it in other like great pay per views. SummerSlam 2013 was another I think all time great WWE pay per view, but I'd still probably I'm pretty sure on my list that I went, that we did I put the. Uh, I put Extreme Rules well ahead of it. That's one of the best pay-per-views ever. So you had that. 
Um, I just felt like it was still a little bit more consistent. And like I said, CM Punk in 2012. I, I mean, did anybody in the past you know few years have a better f- beginning to end year in WWE than he did that year? He worked so hard. And I, I was thinking of Punk and Paul promos, but I suppose they started towards the end of your year. And that was where the majority of their day counting promos and all that dynamic began. Yeah, because then Punk lost the title at pretty early in 2013. So but- Yes. Although I think e- even though we know through podcasts that it drove him completely insane, 2013, even as, as he was like coming to the end of the line... There were some things in isolation, like his, the beginning at least of his feud with Heyman and his babyface turn and match with Lesnar was was handled pretty well. And then just that run of shows in the summer, the Chicago one in June, and then Money in the Bank, and then SummerSlam, all great stuff for people who like CM Punk and Daniel Bryan to do good and important things. Yeah, he he had a great run of Big Show matches, not against the Big Show, but matches on Big Shows <laughs> in uh, 2013. But Still, I think he just he really brought it for all of twenty uh, twenty twelve. But okay, yeah, so and his, he blew out his knee at uh, I think Survivor Series of twenty twelve. Yeah, yeah, and then enter the Shield. So um, okay, so so Justin had twenty twelve. I mean, Justin had twenty thirteen at number nine. I had twenty twelve. Joe, what was your number nine? I had the year a two thousand two, and there is uh, a lot of rough stuff in this year. There's Jericho's weak title run. There's Hulk Hogan's feud with the Undertaker, where he got taken for a ride backstage, sent <laughs> cardboard boxes and clangy bars. Uh, there was the brand split, Triple H being awarded the title, Katie Vick. But really, when Brock Lesnar comes to prominence and you get his rise and you have him winning the title, probably the best SummerSlam they ever did, leading into that fall for SmackDown, the SmackDown Six era. The amazing Brock Taker, Hell in a Cell, probably the best one they ever did. Shawn Michaels' return, probably the best Survivor Series they ever did. The uh, the Elimination Chamber debut, probably the last like great gimmick they introduced. The good stuff is, like I said, the good stuff is so good that it gets up here. I mean, look at the tag tournament finals from that year on SmackDown, and that's what, I don't have it like higher, but I just think that the because there's stuff that drags it down clearly. But the good stuff is so memorable, and it was so exciting at that time. It had to make a place on my list. Yeah, 2002 might be the most painful omission from my list. Um, I mean, it's most of it was bad. Like, like I really think, I really think that. Like, it had some epically excellent stuff. All the, all the, like the last quarter of the year on SmackDown was fantastic, and you know, the month before SummerSlam was great. But I don't have time for anything else from that year. I didn't like WrestleMania. Um, the the way they handled, I think, the NWO coming in was poor. Um, the way they handled Austin that year was bad. I didn't like the Royal Rumble from that year and like the way they put over Triple H and just the Triple H of 2002, other than his match with Shawn Michaels in general, I didn't like. And he was pretty much all over that year. Um, the Undertaker had, did some good stuff, the match with Hardy. Um, you know, yes. Lesnar, obviously, he came into his own pretty quickly. You know, and when and when Heyman took over SmackDown, all that stuff is you know it's great. I mean, unimpeachable. And the Survivor Series and SummerSlam that year were both great. The No Mercy and pay per view was amazing. Um, but it's like because of the brand split, there was even when all this great stuff was going on, there was terrible, terrible stuff going on on Raw, literally that entire time. And uh, so you know, I mean, when every part of the year had lots of really bad stuff, I can't put that on my list. That's, it's just 
it was just dragged down by too much garbage. And I, like I said, it's the most painful omission for sure. But it, I, I don't feel bad omitting it. I, 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 I <laughs> but it was the most painful. It was the most. You don't feel pain. I feel pain. I feel okay. Let, let me put it this way: I feel pain for omitting it, but I don't feel that I'm wrong. How about that? Ooh. Yes. Justin, tell me he's wrong. You're he's not right. Take it from me, the guy from 1999, number ten. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did include 2002, and I considered the the brand split evaluations basically the does MMA count in the Observer Hall of Fame of the debate of this list. Mm-hmm. Um. I erred on the side of taking the good show, um, or at least like recognizing it in some way, <laughs> regardless. Um, but the uh, the other thing is, Raw Raw dies almost immediately after SummerSlam. In fact, it does die immediately. That was a show in Nassau Coliseum or MSG yeah, or somewhere. Yeah, so in the, the Raw after was at MSG, and I was there, and it was lousy. Mm-hmm. And like everything they'd been building towards for SummerSlam, uh, like is screwed up immediately. Triple like Brock Lesnar refuses to fight Triple H, right, and runs away to SmackDown, and then that's yeah. up Triple H getting his own belt. And then Raw is fucked for the rest of the year. And and way. for for the record, Raw was fucked for the mo- almost the entire year prior, also except for that one month between um, f- uh, whatever that pay per view was, f- uh, Vengeance was it, and SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. Like that, like that was the only month of that year that Raw was any good. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying to you though is like these are the limitations of the Gregorian calendar. Is because if you can just like if you divide up the year in a different way. Like WrestleMania to WrestleMania or something like that, or the WWF stock fiscal calendar. I don't know when that runs to May to May, maybe. Um, so um, the uh, where they start in June or July with Bischoff coming in, and they essentially have to redo the brand split because they'd screwed it up so bad to that point uh, with Flair and Vince, and then things. They were in trouble, man. And then they sort of just did it over. And they had everyone switch back and forth and put Bischoff and Stephanie in charge of the shows instead. Then Raw, like both shows are genuinely great through SummerSlam. It was a period of apparently ruthless aggression. I think they bottomed out with Nash. <laughs> and that's a great part too, right? Is that Nash was getting this huge push and then he walked and he died. So Yeah, so I was going to say, remember that worst Raw ever before it got better again? Remember that? I where, sure do. Yeah. I just don't know where are we going to find these years, and I guess the conversation will go on if they can't have terrible stuff in them. Okay, <laughs> it's not that they not they can't have terrible stuff. It's that it was a constant stream of terrible stuff the entire year. There was good stuff mm-hmm. in one part of the brand, but the other brand was uniformly terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that. I think just um, I'm going to treat SmackDown as its own promotion, like NXT, and say – I'm I'm putting in 2002 SmackDown for on my list. <laughs> Fair enough. I did like Hulk Hogan versus The Rock. I thought that was cool. Sure. And there's just so the the Heyman SmackDown. Then it's like it was brief and beautiful because he's done. He's deposed as head writer in I think January or February of the next year. So yeah. yes. enjoy it while it's last. Get it while it's hot. It was it was good. Like I said, this would this would easily be in the next five, maybe even number eleven. But it's uh, it's not in my top ten. At least it's painful. It is it is it is painful. But I'm right. Um, 
I mean, and then that Raw had that TLC match in Vegas, so <laughs> just that. Yes. Watch that. Skip the rest. I'm going to go on to number eight. Um, and my number eight is, uh, you know, I'm very curious, actually, to see if either of you included this. Because I don't think it's as well-liked as 1992, but I feel like when you break it down from beginning to end, it's a lot of great stuff. And that's 1991. Um, and... It started off, I think, with like a lot of controversy because of the Gulf War angle, and I don't think that that's you know it's very very well regarded. But I feel like when you get away from the politics of it and the and the jingoism of it, it's a very well executed angle, um, and the matches were good. Sergeant Slaughter did a really good job in that role, and then right at the same time, you have this pretty epic build to the Ultimate Warrior versus Randy Savage. And the match really delivered hugely, and with one of the best angles they ever did with with Savage getting together with uh, Elizabeth in an angle where everyone involved is dead, and that's really hard to deal with when you think about it, but it um, it was amazing. At the same time, you had a number of like great TV and pay-per-view matches involving the Rockers. You had... I say Mr. Perfect probably at his peak in the WWF during before he got his back injury. Um, Big Boss Man was doing great stuff. The debut, or not the debut, but the kind of the rise of The Undertaker and building that legacy was awesome. They had really like cool, like edgy angles with Jake the Snake and uh, Savage and the Warrior. And that Jake heel turn was awesome. SummerSlam was a really satisfying and fun show. They had good characters. Um, they had some bad ones, but I know you guys um, have talked about uh, some of the dumb characters uh, in the past from that era. But they also like they debuted the Mountie, who I think was ended up being, considering how silly it was, pretty successful character. Um, they started planting the seeds for the Shawn Michaels heel turn, and I think they did a really good job doing that kind of subtly. They, you know, consider all things considered, I don't think they did a bad job with the Legion of Doom. Obviously, they were not the same as what they were in the past, but overall, they did well. Brett's face turn started, and I'm not face turn. Brett's the singles push started, and I think got off to a pretty good start. There are some really good stuff, like the early Savage and Virgil, like promos, not Savage and Virgil, DiBiase and Virgil promos were, that led up to Virgil's face turn. I mean, that's pretty pretty memorable and well done stuff. Uh, the first Virgil-DiBiase match wasn't any good, but the second one was pretty damn memorable. I think they had a really consistently good, well-booked, and kind of daring year from booking. I mean, if you remember some of those angles with Flair where he knocked out Vince and kind of his his confrontations with Hogan. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I know there was goofy stuff in 1991, but and it wasn't. And it was a year where they kind of, you know, their, some of their scandals started and their their business dropped off a lot. But creatively, I think that stuff holds up a lot better than some other stuff. And um, I find it to be an excellent year. Joe, uh, I think that's interesting. Uh- things that kind of drove me away there was a lot of silliness you had repo man and big bully busick and a lot of lame stuff that didn't go anywhere and survivor series that year was among the worst they've ever done so that kind of hampered mm, it for me i don't but, i don't agree with that among survivor series there's a lot of crappy survivor series that one had some pretty memorable stuff that one's really bad though <laughs> like what was memorable about it the undertaker winning the title i thought was pretty oh that's memorable, memorable sure but it was <laughs> and, bad 
well, I won't, and, uh, I won't dispute anymore, but... This Tuesday in Texas was better than uh, yes. a step up. That's fine. There was good stuff, but there was just enough middling stuff. I didn't think the, you know, the Rumble's okay. I You know, the Gulf War stuff kind of still left a sour taste in my mouth. I didn't have it. No, you're right. There's plenty of good stuff, but not enough for me to put it on my top 10. Justin. Yeah, I when you said it, I initially balked, and then you made a, a nice case to where now I'm not surprised anymore, and I was like, oh, yeah. it. Um, this and 92 are, are certainly the end of the, the golden age, and it, the... What's it called? What's that thing that makes... Um, hmm... Gold, a goose, right? A goose weighs a golden eggs. Um, yes. In in myth. Now, who's the one who touches it and it turns into gold? Midas. Yeah, I had those Thank two mixed up. So they no longer had the Midas touch after this year. Exactly, mm-hmm. and the go- golden egg-laying goose was starting to make regular eggs mm. and not golden ones. Goose eggs are supposed to be pretty good. I've never eaten one, but really, mm. yeah, I guess it's all yolk. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I just, um, certainly that is the task we've been tasked with, but something about how you make a one-to-one comparison between these years with four pay-per-views and not first-run weekly television that wasn't squashes versus 12 and a a live raw every week, um, and in some cases a SmackDown, because, like, boy, man... Me and my bros in 2002 here sitting here with our arms crossed saying, we lost to the Gulf War year? Come on. <laughs> uh, you lost to the year that has some of them, like as far as like those that era, probably like, a, like as far as a list of like the most memorable angles, probably has a, a lot more of them than most years. Whether it's um, the Flair debut, the Flair attack on Vince with Piper, uh, you know, kind of, saving him the savage snake bite no piper and, hit fence right by mistake right sorry yeah. um the uh the uh, i don't know why i'm so mad about this <laughs> <laughs> this the savage uh snake bite angle the uh the jake heel turn with locking warrior in the uh casket and them actually like treating it like hey warrior could die in this situation um right i mean le- less important but damien getting crushed and never returning um uh, let's see what else they had. Uh, the um, um, Warrior and Sherry uh, promo, which was, I mean, pretty memorable. Then the whole angle at the end of the WrestleMania Seven career-ending match, the the Savage, I mean, the DiBiase and Virgil vignettes, and then eventual face turn. A lot of memorable stuff that year. I um, so I uh, I think that 1991 would should be proud to show its face among any <laughs> 2000s year. You know what it is? I think I'm just more forgiving of the shows when I was a teen than when I was like an adolescent. Mm-hmm. That must be it. And isn't that interesting? Perhaps. I, I'm well aware that putting 91 on a list like this definitely um, goes against conventional wisdom. So I, uh, I am not surprised or resentful of any pushback. Um, now, I think Joe and I talked about this on pod form before, but what you really needed to tie everything together, unlike the WrestleMania to SummerSlam and the booking in between, was for, for The Undertaker to be on the evil heel tag team in the SummerSlam main event, right? Yes. Then they would be would truly be. a match in hell, because you have Undertaker, a dead evil guy, and he did put Warrior in the thing. 
what as opposed to Sergeant Slaughter and other old bald and fat men. Yes. Yeah, what if it was just Undertaker and Jake as the alliance of evil? Mm. They were two pretty mean guys. It would be good. Sergeant Slaughter, though, he did a great job that year. I will not ever say otherwise. Um, he had a good match with Hogan, or, you know, like, not a bad match. More than you can say for the Sid match. Well, that's for sure. Oh, sure. Um, so, anyway, Joe, uh, what do you have at number eight? Number eight, I had 1987. Kicked the year off with the, the big Andre heel turn on Piper's Pit. Just a mind-blowing angle at the time. Leading into WrestleMania three, which really set the precedent for what WrestleMania would become, the humongous stadium show, kind of the, the paying off the major angles and, uh, and whatnot. And besides that year, you also had uh, Bam Bam Bigelow coming in, the angle with all the managers trying to sign him. The Jumping Bomb Angels were in that year. It was a great tag team year because you had the Heart Foundation and Strike Force holding down the, um, the tag straps. You had uh, the Randy Savage face turn, which is another amazing angle. And uh, they also launched Survivor Series, which still exists, which I guess counts for something. But again, kind of a year where the good stuff is just so good and so memorable and so successful that uh, I had to carve out a spot on my list for it. Yeah, uh, I had 1987 even higher. A- and, um, I mean, WrestleMania 3 alone, I feel like, will cement its place. But even beyond that, I mean, you had... For, it was kind of the end of the first era of the national expansion. Um, you know, you had kind of like... It's kind of like the production kind of changed a little bit. The, uh, you know, like the style of primetime wrestling kind of became that late 80s style. And you also debuted a lot of the guys that would carry the company over the next few years, whether it be The Warrior or DiBiase or Rick Rude. Um, a lot of those guys came in. And, um, yeah, uh, I mean, you know, the, the Andre heel turn, I mean, I, one of the greatest angles of all time. I, I don't think anyone would dispute that. The uh, Savage face turn, one of the great angles of all time. Uh, Sav- uh, Savage and Steamboat, one of the greatest matches of all time. Um, just a lot of the best stuff. Survivor Series, the pay-per-view, was actually uh, really good. That Their tag teams during that period were awesome. I mean, British Bulldogs, you know, they were kind of at the tail end of their, you know, kind of work rate peak because uh, Dynamite Kid was so beat up. But they still were able to have some really good matches. And the Hard Foundation were great. Um, the Islanders were good. Um, uh, the Brainbusters didn't come in until the next year, but they had some they had some really good stuff that year. The Rougeau brothers were were really good in the ring for a time, um, so, and you know you could see during that tag team match at the Survivor Series they really were loaded with pretty good and over tag teams, and that's something that you kind of missed after the '80s ended. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, I'd say you know one of the peaks of Hogan. One of the peaks of Savage, um, the peak of Steamboat in the WWF. Like I said, DiBiase debuts and is instantly, you know, one of the top guys in the company. You know, Heenan was at his best. So yeah, uh, I had it at number five. I'll just say right now. Me uh, too. You too, Justin. Mm-hmm. What do you have to say about 1987? Yes, it's mostly why I was so tongue-tied on '84 because it it was pretty much the points I wanted to make about that is, is how do you recognize and cherish and honor the years where like they're putting their infrastructure together and then maxing out on it. And um, this was that. I just considered three as the, or WrestleMania three is the better example of that than WrestleMania one. And uh, then all that other stuff you said, tag teams that look like each other, etc. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was, it was always when I was when I was like a teenager. It was like the one lament, or in college, the one lament that people I knew always had about the current WWE was these tag teams need to be dressing alike. They just need to be dressing mm-hmm. alike, and now they finally do. They're finally <laughs> dressing alike again. Um, Justin, what was your number eight? Was that the first year we all agreed on? Uh, I well, we'll find out. Oh, I believe there. Will, I'm certain there will be more. Just yes. at this point in the show, I believe that was the first. Because yeah, Justin said you didn't have 92, right? So yeah, I guess you're right. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, that was mm. my Seth Rollins laugh. <laughs> what? Pound your chest. <laughs> um, number eight, Justin. You want me to go? Yeah. My number eight is 2008. It All is right. my champion of the Cena years, which I think deserved one. Oops, we shouldn't tip our hands. 2007, I think, had a, a more excellent run of television. And uh, I debated between them much as I did 2012 and 2013. And in the same kind of uh, logic, I felt like 2008 was uh, more solid and built off some of the work done the year before. 2007 had the awesome run-up to WrestleMania. Um, and then uh, like one of the, the great underrated periods where Raw and SmackDown were good at the same time in this whole brand extension time. But ultimately, I figured 2008 had most of the same uh, characters up and running. And if off the top of my head, at least, most of them didn't get injured for large chunks of time. And you add Jericho and Jeff Hardy to the mix. So uh, that's why I went with it. Um, When people make fun of Vince nowadays, rightfully so, for everything, they usually say, call him a two-trick pony, referring to the Hulkamania period and the Attitude Era. And I think he is at least a two and a half, if not a three trick pony, because he did, um, he put the Humpty Dumpty back together again after like the 2001 to 2004 period. He and uh, John Cena together with uh, actually kind of a new cast of characters on top who are most of the same cast of characters today or had been for a while. Um, the whole Edge and Orton and Batista generation kind of teamed up with uh, Hunter and Sean in old versions of themselves. I mean, like, you know, old man versions, not new versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, veteran guys, them and The Undertaker. And uh, it just made a, a nice new dynamic that, for me as a viewer, um, much more enjoyable product to watch than it had been in the... Uh, sort of stale uh, aftershocks of the the boom period years. And I picked 08, I don't know. I just thought, like, all those guys were working and probably the most, um, the closest they all were to their peaks at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think uh, that's fair. I don't, I don't have it on my list, but I was considering both it and 2007. Neither made my list. Um, but they were definitely in consideration. And I think... You know, the Jericho stuff alone, I think, makes it a solid pick. Um, you know, there was just too much stuff. Or I guess there's just not enough stuff, I guess, is what is how I would say it, to really get it on there. there was n- but other than the Jericho stuff, there was really nothing, like, legendarily great about 2008 to me. And I think all my other years had something um, that I would consider really memorably, like, all-time great. Um, but Jericho was great. Uh, I said the word great too many times. Um, and it was, you know, a, a totally reasonable year to have on the list. Joe, what did you think of 2008? Uh, I didn't have it on my list. This is where it's a challenge to kind of decompart, 
uh, decompartmentalize these where, like, you know, stuff I like 1992, I remember pretty much everything because there were only four pay per views and only certain memorable angles. I went through the results for all of 2008. None of it really stood out to me. Like, I remember the Jericho. Michael stuff. Everything else just seemed like shows to me to where I'm sure they were good, but nothing where I'm like, well, this is clearly one of the peaks of the the company's history. Yeah, that's pretty much how I felt. It's uh, it definitely though I think as far as these things go was a solid year as far as like in the modern era, good stuff. Um, Maybe '07 actually has the advantage in terms of um, Triple H going away for a while. Also, '07 <laughs> I think in the ring was like peak Cena. Um, yes. Cena had an amazing year in 2007 as far as matches goes. And that means something considering he's the quote-unquote ace of the company and has been, you know, up until maybe just now. Um and probably will be again, but who knows. Mm-hmm. Um fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> I think of 08 though and um the Jericho became his mean man guys in a suit, troglodytes uh etc and then Edge of his three big years, it was probably the least impressive. You know, if you want to rate him by, like, wrestler of the year criteria, he would have been passed by Jericho this year, but 06 and 07, and he was still strong. He still, um, he and Undertaker were the headline on SmackDown from, like, the beginning of the year until SummerSlam. And then Orton hurt his collarbone I think as he is wont to do and that's when he became instead of like the cocky legend killer guys when he switched into the no absence of malice uh, scary mean guy wasn't he already doing like the punt in 07 I know he started putting out some people with the punt and it wasn't though until he went off TV and somehow came back as a meaner guy like a crazy guy instead of an arrogant guy who looked mean at people instead of put up his hands like this and said, look at me. I got you. Um, well, I feel, I feel like that's a good transition, actually, to my number seven, because my pick from the, uh, I guess, Cena era, you know, that turnover, I honestly don't know if this is going to be controversial, but I picked 2005. And uh, I picked 2005 because... They had, I think, the most probably successful angle that they really had in many, many years in Batista versus Triple H. You know, they kind of, you know, fell ass backwards into it, but they didn't really screw it up. They made a lot of money off of it. They even ended up having a great match in the end of that feud. Um, They also, it was the year that they legitimately turned Cena into a top star. And, you know, it was looking dicey there for a little while. But, you know, the WrestleMania title win was extremely anticlimactic but they ended up you know through the feud with jbl through that awesomely not talked about but still great i quit match with jbl and then the move over to monday night raw where he kind of i'd say you know i think that's when he really like solidified himself when he came out on raw and became the top guy on raw and then you also had I mean, I'd say a very good WrestleMania. It didn't end so great, but some really good stuff. Great match with Angle and Shawn Michaels. I'd say the the Backlash show, I'm not Backlash, the Vengeance show that they had, uh, that you were at, Justin, was one of the all-time underrated WWE pay-per-views. They had ECW One Night Stand, which I don't think is insignificant. That's one of the most memorable things they ever did that year. 
and SummerSlam was great. They had the kind of the renaissance of Shawn Michaels as like in that dickhead character. Um, <laughs> just uh, you know the I mean the intrigue with Hardy and uh, Edge. I mean the best parts of that were not things that they did on purpose, but uh, and they kind of ruined it afterward. But it was super intriguing and memorable. Um, you know, I, th- I think that Angle did some good stuff that year. You know, Jericho. You know, he had a you know a brief heel run before he left that I think was was very good. Christian was great that year. A lot of really good TV matches in the first half of that year. Uh, the second half of the year, not the second half, but the last like quarter of the year is marred by a lot of um, you know depressing stuff. Obviously, Eddie Guerrero dying. Um, not as much good booking. The 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 major shows weren't as good. But I'd say the first, you know, two thirds to three quarters of the year had a lot of really good stuff. Eddie Guerrero, before he died, was doing some of the best work of his career as a character. There was obviously a lot of stuff that was uncomfortable about that angle and stuff they shouldn't have done. Um, but Eddie was amazing that year, and they those two guys were delivering in the ring. Um, I think what that they had this match on SmackDown that was like completely incredible. Um, obviously, they also had Muhammad Hassan that year, and that was a real black mark on the company's history. Um, you know, of, you know, but you know, in history, but I, I feel like it slept on as far as how much good stuff there was that year. Even the Royal Rumble, I thought was one of the better Royal Rumbles. Um, that was a good year. I, uh, I really feel like 2005 had a lot of good stuff in it. Uh, what do you think, Justin? I'll let you go first. Oh no, I thought we had an alphabetical <laughs> pattern established. I, um, yeah, this feels like an oversight to me now. It's interesting the visceral reactions i think we we associate with the years because i i wrote this off immediately as hassan and eddie's in hell um and what i ask out of the company in its imperfect years such as now with the reed flair thing is like if you're not gonna be great don't make me or don't do anything just to make me overtly dislike you and this was a year i associated with that but everything you said is so true and nice and good i think it, it is um the, the best cross-section between the generation of guys, Angle, Jericho, his first uh, version of himself, Benoit, and Guerrero, who kind of carried the company, uh, or at least did a lot of the heavy lifting in the post-boom period years, and they all kind of collectively passed the torch to the generation of guys I talked about as the 2007 headliners, Cena, Edge, Batista, etc., Almost kind of literally since, um, you know, they, they put the belts on Benoit and Guerrero in 2004 and they ended up being like um, uh, kind of just like placeholders mm-hmm. to build up Cena and Batista to ultimately have much longer runs. Um, the Hassan thing, Jesus Christ, uh, the Eddie stuff, wow, the Tim White stuff that just felt like rubbing in the Eddie Guerrero stuff. And the fact that JBL headlined something like 15 straight SmackDown pay-per-views from 2004 to 2005. But ended with... The caveats, I would add. And ended... JBL's main event run ended with an in legitimately incredible match. And I was, oh, but my friend, then Batista came over and JBL just started headlining with him instead. <laughs> oh, true, true, true. But other than that, yeah, I like, I like what you say. And there was um, a lot of overlooked, really good wrestling on Raw. Yes, a lot of great TV matches, especially... Basically like, all uh, those yeah. guys in the Money in the Bank 
fought each other a bunch. Yeah. And Sean was there too. I remember there's a really great match with Orton and Christian in the period before WrestleMania that no one ever talks about. Uh, Joe, mm-hmm. what did you think of 2005? I uh, had it at number six. So right. uh, pretty online with you. You covered pretty much everything I had. Was Hogan Michaels at SummerSlam mentioned as a... Uh, yeah, it's else? great. And, and, the, and Michaels' whole you know personality transformation leading into it. And the night after. <laughs> yes, and that too. And uh, like you said, the year, it petered out a bit with the haunting of Bob Orton Jr. Yeah. That whole angle. <laughs> but uh, no, just, I mean, one of the most successful angles they ever ran. They created two major stars. Great WrestleMania, just, the, I don't think you can discount how emotional One Night Stand was uh, yeah. at the time. And, uh, you know, the great Guerrero Mysterio feud, just so much good stuff. This is the most recent year I have on my list. That's a little spoiler. Yeah, well, it's not you know not super surprising when you consider how what they've been up to in the past ten years. But uh, also how old I am, and I remember being there for a lot of the eighties. So, you know what I I think is similar. I mean, this is morbid and, and a weird comparison to make, but it reminds me just waiting that whole year for Eddie Guerrero to get the belt back, and the fact that he seemed like he was going to popular lore and and myths notwithstanding, it there was like. We were building towards that, and he was working with Batista um, on top, and then it just didn't happen because, unfortunately, he was he couldn't do it. But um, and I think it, I don't know what the conventional wisdom is now that it was in fact going to Randy Orton or what, but it reminds me of uh, waiting for Daniel Bryan to come back and and get the belt again and and save the business, but he he, he also couldn't because he's hurt. Yeah, um, I know, Joe. You said that your number seven was 1992. Do you have anything more you want to say about that before we move to Justin? Nope. Just that everyone's in agreement. 1992, uh, a great year. Everyone's in agreement. Um, Justin, what's your number seven? My number seven is subject to the same push-pull we have for all of these because um, the answer for my number seven is 2001. And I can't decide how high or how low to put it because I'm still in that like state of mind where I was so passionate and into not just wrestling, but the WWF brand of wrestling and their guys on top. And all that goodwill from 2000 took a long time uh, over the course of 2001. And I think what makes it still acceptable for a list such as this is that even as they squander so much, there's just like so much to burn through. Matt, you kind of said this when we did the top angles and you talked about the invasion, like Mm -hmm. half a dozen times, it seems like there was a hope spot where they had righted the ship and would get things, um, you know, back to just 2000 WWF booking. And it's like, well, you lost your way, but you found it back and you were bailed out by this or that or, um, but essentially they had just like accumulated so much fuel and then they burnt through it at a rapid, rapid pace that if you were watching it, aside from like the truly boring ass periods like April and May, um, you were rarely bored and mostly just hoping that some of the promise could be fulfilled for more than one or two uh, Raws in a row. Yeah, I mean... I will just go ahead and say that this was my number six, 2001. And I just feel like WrestleMania 17 alone will get it into consideration, right? The greatest pay-per-view in history of the company. And then when you 
consider that, that it was part of a stretch of like three of the best pay-per-views in the history of the company. Um, you know, tons of great matches that year. Even when things were terrible in terms of booking, when they were making all kinds of bad decisions, the TV was entertaining. And there were so many years that it was not, including years that probably you'd consider better, um, like from a business standpoint. And this was just like super entertaining. The talent was just on fire. Austin was amazing that year. Whenever The Rock was around, he was excellent. Um, Triple H, probably at the beginning of that year, was probably at some of doing some of his best stuff. And then he was gone for most of the rest of the year. Which <laughs> is, I mean, seriously, like, you know, Triple H can be really good, but you can there he can really be overexposed, and he wasn't because he was gone for most of that year. Not that I wish him to get hurt. Um, and, you know, the, the, the comedy was funny. Angle was was great that year. You know, it's maybe, you know, it's probably between 2001 and 2002 as far as which year had the most really great matches. And it might be 2001, especially in the main event level. You know, pay-per-views were great all the way up through Survivor Series. Um, and there aren't too many years that can that you could say that with, where, like, pay-per-views were really good, like, from pretty much beginning to end. It had my all-time favorite Monday Night Raw match, at least up to a certain point, which was the... Uh, we called it at the time the Elevation Tag Team Match, um, Jericho and Benoit against uh, Triple H and Austin. Uh, the, all the Benoit and Austin TV matches, um, Shane McMahon versus Kurt. I mean, matches like I could go on forever. So many great matches. The rise of Rob Van Dam, the squandering of Rob Van Dam, but still, um, you know what a super exciting year. Even as there were a lot of failures uh, from the business and creative standpoint, it was still. It was still exciting to watch. Uh, Joe, what did you think? I had this at number two. Wow. I, like you I said, initially – oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. Go ahead, please. I initially had it there, um, mm-hmm. and then I, I thought I needed to temper it and calm down a bit. Justin, um, who would you have expected that, you're, that you would have had 2001 lower than anyone else? No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like Matt said, the best pay-per-view they ever did at WrestleMania. Enjoyable rumble. No way out with the Triple H-Austin two out of three falls match. Yeah, that rumble was, I mean, one of the best rumble matches, and it had the the Jericho-Benoit ladder match. That's right, it did. Uh, yeah, no, you're right, I forgot about that. And like you said, maybe they burned through angles. I'll never forget that Raw with the ECW joining the Alliance and the Jericho-Rock feud in that match in, in the fall. And, uh, I mean, one of the great SummerSlams, I thought, just so much good stuff. Even as bad as it was, and maybe Rob Van Dam got uh, squandered, but he was so over and it was so exciting at the time. And we were all kind of, you know, kind of still kind of shell-shocked that WCW wasn't on television anymore and it was on and it was being kind of it was being weird but uh <laughs> you look back in retrospect i mean so much good stuff like i had no problem putting this at number two yeah Man, i want to pretend i didn't say it and just save it for later now yeah no i mean great year um i uh i guess we can uh, go on so um i will add one more thing if that's the last we're going to talk about 2001 yes is um the metaphor for the whole year is probably that WrestleMania quarter where they lost, I don't know, $800 billion on the XFL and turned a slight profit because of uh, their business besides that. Yeah. That to me speaks to, it's like the year summed up in one thing. No, it was Except a year. In this case, oh, go ahead. It was a year of wasted opportunity, but it was quality. Like, the, like that, that was, it was good wrestling. 
TV. And I'll say again, if you, it, with the benefit of hindsight, we see that the, the business started to tail off at the end of 2000 when they they moved from USA to TNN. They didn't elevate uh, the big the three guys into main event spots. Things got more stale. Um, bad payoffs to certain angles. But going with the the general idea that the boom ended when Austin turned heel and everything peaked at WrestleMania 17. The number of times throughout the remainder of the year that I thought things had gone back to normal because I was dumb and optimistic, the Jericho Benoit Raw, I think, was the first time. I was like, phew, what a relief. (laughs) This heel Austin thing is weird, but here's my two friends, Chris. And then probably when WCW first showed up, because it was like, well, you can't screw this up. Then when ECW showed up because it said, oh, well, you fixed that. Good. That was close. Then when Rock came back after his hiatus... And then um, maybe even up to the end when Ric Flair came back and they reset everything for one more try. All those times, I was like, oh, what a, what a relief that they figured it out. And now we can go back to being happy again. Dude, I was so excited when Ric Flair came back. That was so yeah. cool. Yeah. The consortium was him, Matt. <laughs> it's this enthusiasm that makes me scared when Joe threatens that we're not going to keep going into 2000-era wrestling for the rest of our podcast in the last <laughs> Well, there's other good stuff to be talked about. Um, so, so I'll, again, my number six is 2001. Joe, what's your number six? My number six was 2005, as previously uh, stated. Ah, uh, uh, yes. I, sorry, I forgot to put, put that down. Um, Justin, what's your number six? It was 1987, but now I want to secretly move 2001 ahead of it. Oh, okay. So, okay. So, I I miss I put your two nineteen eighty seven in the wrong spot. Okay, and my number Unless five. Unless I said it wrong, maybe I was moving things around on the fly. And my nineteen and my number five was nineteen eighty seven. So, uh, Joe, what was your number five? My number five was nineteen eighty nine. This is the year you had the the mega powers explode in an amazing angle. Um, led to huge business at WrestleMania five. I thought all. Four pay-per-views were good. Yeah, Big John Studd won the Rumble. That was weird, but it didn't matter. And I don't know why WrestleMania Five gets such a bad rap. I think that's a very entertaining show, well put together. We were at a point we were getting in better workers. The Rockers were there. The Brainbusters were in. Mr. Perfect was uh, gaining some ground. Rick Rude was at his peak as the Intercontinental Champion. Demolition was of... Demolition was huge. Yeah, Demolition was huge. And uh, yeah, I mean, I thought this was one of Hogan's best years. He had the Savage match. He had the Boss Man Cage match. Uh, on Saturday night's main event, he had the match with the Genius, where he lost by countout, shockingly. Bad News Brown. Yeah, Bad News Brown, and yeah, yeah, Zeus was prominently involved, but he, like the SummerSlam match, wasn't that bad. He was barely in the uh, uh, Survivor Series one, and um, I, I can't speak for the match beyond uh, No Holds Barred. Yeah, but it's not like we got a twenty-minute pay-per-view main event between him and Hogan, which would have probably tanked this year. Yeah, but I just thought there was just a lot of solid wrestling and well put together, executed angles. Yeah, it's uh, it's my number four. Mm. Um, yeah, so I mean, the mega powers exploding is. I mean, is it a stretch to maybe say the best angle they ever did as far as like long term planning, execution, up to the major blow off? Long term, uh, yeah, it's the best. Yeah, and like that means something. Savage was on fire in those promos. I mean, it's he's like scary to watch still. Um, and you know, I mean, WrestleMania five, I didn't think it was a great show. I think it was just, it was lacking in like peaks, you know, it was just a very, it was steady throughout, but it was kind of like it dragged because there didn't like, there weren't like major, like, I don't know, like climaxes during the show up until the end. Like, whereas WrestleMania seven, you had, 
Savage versus Warrior, and there was you know the Savage versus Steamboat at WrestleMania three. I think that's why it wasn't as good as other WrestleManias. Um, but you know, I mean, it was you know major, you know, in terms of being a success and being a blow off. SummerSlam was a lot of fun. Uh, Rick Rude was awesome in 1989. I mean, he wasn't quite 1992 levels, but he had a great year. And I recently watched this. I, I don't know how often or how recently you've seen it, Joe or Justin, but all the Piper and Rude stuff on primetime yeah. wrestling, that stuff was fantastic. And Heenan was great. Um, yeah, the Piper Rude cage match at MSG is. Um that's, I mean, that's that's really one of Rude's best matches in the company, and probably Piper's too. Yeah, and 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 just Piper, I think you know, that was it was definitely the best thing he did in the second phase of his uh, WWF career, like the angles that he cut with Rude on primetime and stuff. Oh yeah, the interactions with Heenan. I mean, you know, just super intense stuff. Um, you know, Mr. Perfect had a good year. Great matches with the Rockers and the Brainbusters on TV. Um, you know, kind of that first little foray into um, single stuff with Bret Hart and uh, and Jim Neidhart. Um, really good year. Boss Man had a great year, too. Um, the, yeah, really good stuff, really good peaks, some great matches. Um, I'd say, you know, kind of like the peak of their just like that whole Midas Touch Golden Goose thing. Like that was just like, this is when they were just like a juggernaut and couldn't do any wrong. And uh, it shows, and just the confidence of the booking and the presentation of everything. Uh, Justin, do you did you have 1989 on your list? Also, my number four. Ah, so there you go. So, so we're it, so we're getting to the point where we're starting to agree a lot. Huzzah! Glad we moved past that whole 92, 99 thing. <laughs> yes, that was so uncomfortable, you guys. Justin, did you say your number five yet? Yeah, my number five was a cutesy thing where I. Uh, again, UFC, does MMA count for the Observer Hall of Fame? So I said, well, they'll never be able to stop me if I say 2002 SmackDown combined with 2004 Raw, um, which was, I, I just put it that way because it was um, a period where the one show was so great at a time when its sister show was uh, at times truly horrible. So that's All right. why I did that. I'll allow it. So do you want to talk about 2004 Raw then? You going to say anything about it? Uh, I feel like it had a really good stretch from like the Royal Rumble up until maybe um, Bad Blood, and yeah. I don't think it was good at any other point that year. But there was some amazing matches on Raw uh, that year during that period. Um, you know, mostly involving Benoit. There were like great tag team matches. The two singles matches with Shawn Michaels. Um, I don't know what what do you, what were the peaks for you in two thousand four for Raw. I thought, like you said, it was, it was similar to 2007, yes, where almost out of nowhere the company got its shit together to have a good WrestleMania run on both shows. Mm-hmm. Um, everything. That WrestleMania 20 is on seven or eight matches deep with good builds. And yeah, WrestleMania 20 I find to be extremely underrated at this point. I mean, I understand it was what happened with Benoit, but I also think it was a good show in other respects. Mm-hmm. I... um. I make no apologies for how indulgently internet guy happy I was and just out of surprise and shock that when Benoit and Eddie Guerrero were all of a sudden on top of the company and going to be in the championship matches. Likewise. And um, and then Raw for another three months after that. Hot TV with the Evolution versus uh, all those you, baby faces. But then Eugene came. 
Yep. Uh, Joe, do you have any recollections of 2004 on the raw side of the equation? Um, liked a good amount of it. it I kind of factored 2004 as a whole. So yeah, had me too. Everything, those great WrestleMania 20 memories coming crashing down and hurting inside uh, pretty quickly. <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, I will certainly agree. There's good stuff, but uh, a year and a whole, I did not consider. Yes. Uh, so for number four, Justin and I both had 1989. Joe, what did you have at number four? I had 1997. I had um, very exciting year. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of things happening. Raw moves to two hours. Goes raw. It uh, goes live. Um, it goes raw also. And it goes raw also. Several weeks in a row. The best is match- raw war. <laughs> <laughs> for, for a time, Raw was for a time war. It was. It's not Raw. It's not War anymore. Just checking. Uh, yes, the best match the company ever did at that year's WrestleMania, which was pretty brutal. Otherwise, the Heart Foundation angle going through the the summer, the rise of Degeneration X, uh, Steve Austin gaining power and breaking his neck, and um, just kind of a uh, lot lot of great television there. A lot of memorable moments. The European title match finals, the ECW invasion of Raw, just um, it, it really felt like the company was, well, they were turning things around, but as a viewer, it felt like they were really fighting back against Nitro and becoming at least equal, if not the better show. And uh, the, I mean, there were some down points. The Rumble wasn't a whole lot. The year ended on a pretty sour note with Montreal and the Degeneration X pay-per-view, but other than that, like a, just uh, one of the most exciting times to be a fan there was. Uh, I uh, I knew this time would come, but I'm just going to have to reveal it now. 1997 is my number one, um, and I and I put it there despite it not being the best year in business because it was a year where things turned around, but also because it was a year where they challenged themselves to like be a better, more interesting promotion, and succeeded on so many levels. I mean, so much of what we like about modern WWE was kind of formed in 1997 the raw format the you know the interesting characters but it was before they had all the corporate you know homogenization of it there was a lot of bad wrestling in 1997 in wwf i uh you know i'm not going to deny it but the complexity and maturity of their storytelling it was pretty much like it was the only time they ever had complex and mature storytelling was in 1997 and you know the characters were just they were nuanced their motivations made sense. You know, the booking made sense in the, at the top of the card. They were still having a lot of great matches. Shawn Michaels, that heel run near the end of the year. I mean, that's the most entertaining Shawn Michaels ever was. Bret Hart had an amazing year. It did have the best match in the KISS history of the company. You know, their biggest star ever pretty much was formed during that year. Uh, you know, just some of the best, most exciting TV in the history of wrestling – uh, and like not just one or two shows, but like a lot of it in a row, the USA versus Canada stuff. Like you know, I mean, you know, there was a whole base element to it, but it was actually nuanced. And like the nuances, I think, are what sets it apart from any other year of any major promotion I can think of. Uh, WCW certainly didn't have it, and the WWF had it for a little bit in '98, but nothing like the way it was in '97. Um, and it was exciting the whole year. You know, I mean. The you know even when things were going a little bit worse near the end of the year like they were doing a lot of exciting stuff and you know they went too far you know there was some race related stuff with a nation of domination that I don't like that you know because I just don't think that WWF can handle a, a topic that complex but I mean 
the storytelling was just on another level. Like I can't believe they ever pulled it off, <laughs> and they did. So um, that combined with the great wrestling, even though they didn't have too many top to bottom great pay per views, although you know Canadian Stampede obviously is legendary. Um, the storytelling, the matches, the characters, it came together in a way that never it never would and probably never will ever again. Uh, Justin, what do you think of '97? I had it as number two, and if I'm being honest with you guys, 2001 was actually more meaningful to me personally because 97 was when I, there was a period from, I think, um, right after Mind Games to Brett turning heel where I didn't watch WWF Raw, and I watched Nitro in the new, new, new world order. So 97 was me being like, whoa, wait a minute. Bret Hart is bad. Steve Austin is good and so cool. The coolest guy ever. And um, so regardless, I still, I put a number two. The thing I wrote down, well, well, I can't, I guess it is a spoiler, but an obvious one, right? And I, I didn't know I'd be being this antagonistic when I wrote it again. But what I said was, unless you are really into the idea of Canada as the enemy of the United States, 2000 is better in every way. Um, so now I feel bad for putting that in my notes, <laughs> but, um, all these 1990s shows that Joe and I have been doing <laughs> subtext that I think has been there for me is this is all not good. And you were waiting to get to this point in 97 because, um, things needed to change and did. And Matt, I liked what you said. This was a change in the nuances to where, you could turn on Raw and like the program of the company was Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels versus Steve Austin versus The Undertaker versus Sid, the you know the five best guys ever. Uh-huh. And um, <laughs> if um, it's in such stark contrast to the '80s periods where their booking was like so logical and rock solid and A to B to C in house show loops. And, like, these guys would feud, and then they'd work with each other for so long, and then they'd each move on to someone else, and the the guy who won the feud was maybe being built up for something else and would go on to Hogan or Warrior or whatever. uh, Joe, in fact, I I believe you tweeted about reading house show results from the 80s, which I (laughs) assume was for this, unless you've been named the next guest booker. So maybe you... It's true. It's it's almost overlooked how like patterned the booking was because a lot of their programs didn't lead to WrestleMania or SummerSlam for a blow off. They were just like the house show runs. But then in '97, in the apple cart gets turned over and lit on fire, much like the Undertaker's casket, which I guess was the first month of the next year. And it was just crazy wildness. And all those guys were so good. It's almost strange to think about how brett and sean would just peace out completely considering how fundamentally important it is so it's it's very cool to see them working with steve austin who's about to be the hottest guy in the business and then they just kind of like both sacrifice their existences so that he may ascend to become the new great man yeah um as far as the 2000 thing we'll get to that but uh joe uh, I guess uh, you already spoke on 97. There was something else I wanted to say, but it just slipped my mind. So I will, uh, I will move on to, uh, to number three and just say um, my number three is 2000. 
I'm expecting it to be your number one, so I will save my thoughts on 2000 until then. Um, what is your number three, Joe? My number three was 1998. It's probably strange to have this higher than 1997 for some, but there was just so much. I mean, the um, Austin McMahon feud kind of, you know, ran long, maybe turned to a, some consider overrun. They kept going back to that well so often, but it was so fresh when it started. Vince McMahon was a revelation as a performer at the time. This year had maybe the best draw ever, the night after WrestleMania that year. You had the coronation of Steve Austin, who just got white hot. You had uh, Mankind being an MVP, the Mankind Undertaker Hell in a Cell, the big SummerSlam build. Yeah, things get rough in the fall. It's a little... But Survivor Series, where they had the show-long uh, storyline with The Rock, who... I mean, it was like shocking he won the title two years into the, the company. You get to see his ascension. The, you know, his feud with Triple H and their, you know, kind of similar rise and just, uh, you know, it's just so much exciting stuff at the time. And I know people like to look back and be like, well, the uh, matches weren't that great during the Attitude Era. And it's kind of like, yeah, well, we knew a lot of that at the time watching the TV. But the thing is, wrestling had gotten so popular and you were starting to see NWO and Austin 316 shirts everywhere. And it was just such a great time to be a fan. And it was just like, you know, you'd see Vince McMahon and The Rock and like Entertainment Weekly's top 10 entertainers of the year and just that, that kind of vibe they had and the year they finally broke the ratings streak and they just, uh, you know, set the record for WrestleMania. This was so good. There was just so many like memorable things that, yeah, maybe week to week the television wasn't the best, but the good stuff is just too good to not have it, for me to have it uh, any worse than three. Yeah, I think the thing that I was going to say about 97 that brings us into 98 is the early stages of the Vince heel turn when there was still like a lot of nuance to his character and he wasn't the over-the-top Vince McMahon. I love that. You know, I love where you could sort of still see his motivation for why he grew, you know, upset with guys like Hart and Austin and even Michaels at certain points. And like he grew into Mr. McMahon. And I think the beginning of 98 was him turning into that character. And if you watch the very early McMahon stuff, like right after Austin won the title, for maybe that just that first month, I'd say... There's a lot more nuance to that character, and he played it so well. And I have 1998 at number two, and I think you know the the main thing that separates 98 and 97 is a I thought 97 had better matches, and Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels because they were just such compelling characters that year. Um, but 98 was electric, and you know the, I mean WrestleMania was great. Uh, King of the Ring was really great. I mean Hell in a Cell, like you know the the set the the second one. You know, what a memorable thing that was. You know, it wasn't just that they were doing well business-wise. They were putting out really memorable stuff on a regular basis. You know, that build to SummerSlam, you know, there were f- not too many better build-ups in wrestling history, in my opinion, or at least WWF history, to build toward a major show. Um, and they delivered with it. Uh so there were some great matches. The the coming out party of The Rock and also Triple H. You know, this is before, you know, Triple H was still, I think, considered by a lot of people to be boring. But this was before he was really intolerable. And, <laughs> you know, that the stuff that he did with The Rock was great. That ladder match, I think, holds up pretty well. I know some people think the, the climbing is too slow, but I think it holds up pretty well. Raw in September of 98, when they were, like, really reconfiguring things and The Rock was becoming a main eventer. There were some great Raws in 98. There, there was a Raw in September 98 that went opposite the Ric Flair and Horseman reunion that I think might be the most underrated Raw in history. Nobody talks about it. It really it had what really amounted to Rock's face turn. It ended with Shamrock versus Austin. It was a really great show. And then you had, after Unforgiven, or I guess Breakdown it was called, 
the whole Zamboni angle. The things got a little bit weird uh, <laughs> after that with the whole like title vacancy, uh, Undertaker versus Kane main eventing, and then Bang three sixteen. Um, you know, and I think probably the whole Deadly Game tournament. I was disappointed in it at the time because I think it was like really the first time where it really felt like Russo's influence was like overwhelming where like the matches were totally secondary because I remember looking forward to the whole tournament thing and then it turned out to just be like one big angle but the angle came together pretty nicely I have to say and uh, things weren't so great after that but you know you had I mean Tyson the Tyson angle they, they did that brilliantly I thought um, the even that you know it seems hokey now but the, the, when the New Age Outlaws pushed uh, Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie off the ramp in the dumpster, I remember that being a pretty effective angle at the time. Correct me if I'm wrong. And even the getting the New Age Outlaws to that point where they were so over was a big feat. They took these guys that really seemed like mostly mid-carters for most of the previous five years, and they turned a bunch of them into main eventers that year. And that's pretty impressive. And then, you know, I mean, Austin was just at his peak. So I, I, um, so I liked it better than even 2000 just because I think of what it accomplished for the company. Just, it just didn't quite get to, uh, to 97 levels for me. Uh, Justin, uh, what about you? 98 is also my number three. I guess that's already clear from process of the limbs. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, all I wrote down was Tyson exclamation point, Hell in a Cell exclamation point. <laughs> I don't know what else you want me to say. I like your um, – Vince was like nuanced until he got music, right? Would that be safe to say? <laughs> and he like – he went crazy. No, because he didn't really get music until like 99, right? So I don't think he was so nuanced for most of 98. Once you got to the point where he's like giving his lecture to Dude Love or Cat in the Ring where he's like – Steve Austin makes me rich. You just make me sick. I, th- I think that's when he went to full-on Mr. McMahon territory. I mean, that was great. Don't get me wrong. Mr. McMahon is great. But I think, you know, I think the nuances were starting to leave by then. I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so. Oh, Over the Edge 98, by the way, as far as matches. Like, you got that. That's like Oh, classic. yeah. That, oh, I can confirm that uh, WWF The Music Volume 4, released November 1999, had no chance in hell on it. So. Mm-hmm. We can imagine it was some point in 1999 that music it, was... Uh, well, the Royal Rumble yeah. was subtitled No Chance in Hell. Right, it was released concurrently with the 99 Royal Rumble. So that's... And then they just adopted it. I think it was Shane McMahon's music, too, just because they were a corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, I will... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean... The business, you guys, right? <laughs> I will also vouch for... Um, the Survivor Series turn being so mind-blowing to me at the time, and I think it was one of the minor points I was trying to say in a trollish defense of 1999, was the way it configured Austin as the challenger, Rock as the top heel, and then switched fully into a viable uh, babyface contender for the belt. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was so good, and like just lined up so perfectly in a way unbecoming of Vince Russo. And of course, then there are the things that undercut it, like the number of times they traded the title and what they did with Big Show beating him and things like that. But just that they could get to a point where um, uh, I think the the night after Raw where, or the night after Survivor Series where Austin challenges 
Rock, newly heel, new champion, who had just shown that conspiracy and how they did all those tricks and twists to trick everybody to be so cruel. And that's just like an electric crowd and maybe even more than um, the two bookending WrestleManias was was for me like Austin Rock um, and Vince encapsulated in one like six minute little match that ends with I think Undertaker pulling Austin out of the ring and hitting him with a shovel. Yeah, nope. Agreed. Uh, and so. then, yes, once once they go too far with Austin, Undertaker, and Kane, then that's when Mankind and Rock are there to resuscitate it. So, Yes. Um, as far as number two, we all set our number twos. Mine is 98, uh, Justin's is 97, and Joe's is 2001. Um, so we're going to move on to, to uh, number one, uh, which mine is 1997, which we discussed. Uh so Joe and Justin, you could say on three, you're number one at the same time. Uh, one, two, three. Two thousand. Thank that. you. Was oh, there a lag? Nope. Justin just didn't do it. Ugh. He's too cool. Justin, I was trying to think of some way to say something that wasn't it, and I didn't think of anything. So then I just didn't want to talk over Joe. Well, could have done MM. How respectful. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. I was going to say Y2J, and then I was like, that's not funny. So I didn't say anything. <laughs> so before you two espouse your love for 2000, let me just go first since my it was my number three. Yeah, what do you have to say for yourself? Yeah, um, spit it out. All right, so it's my number three. You know, that means I really liked it a lot. It's great. So much great stuff, which I'm sure you'll all talk about. Um, but the reason that I didn't have it at number one, I just felt like 97 and 98 were bigger turning points they had Austin and Rock at the same time and like the rise of the Rock. Um, you know, Austin was missing in 2000, which, you know, lacks something. Obviously, the roster was amazing in 2000. But I think what 2000, if it's missing anything for me, it's those like real peak moments. You know, you had like, I think probably like as far as epic stuff, you had a couple of those Triple H matches. I felt like the, the Foley match at the Royal Rumble and the uh, Jericho match at Fully Loaded were fairly epic. But, you know, and then and the, and the Rock Triple H um, Iron Man, I think, came close. But it didn't have, like, just those really, like, all-time classic moments the way some of the, you know, 97 and 98 really did. And even, even the way, you know, 2001 and in some ways 2002 did. But it was so consistent, you know, it was really good. But it, it like other years, petered out near the end. You know, in the fall... You know, and people, co- you know, will say it coincides with Stephanie taking over the writing team. It wasn't that great. And, um, you know, uh, doesn't penalize it too much. But the considering how revolutionary 97 and 98 were and some of those, you know, huge moments and those amazing matches you had in 97, I don't feel too bad just putting it a couple rungs down. That said, I'm going to agree with all the good things you say right now. So, Joe, you can start. This is bullshit. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> um, no, there's just, I mean, yeah, uh, WrestleMania was disappointing and King of the Ring and Survivor Series sucked. But uh, God, there's just, I mean, Triple H, this is easily, easily his peak. I mean, you had the awesome Foley match at the Rumble. Also, the kind of underrated retirement match at No Way Out, the Hell in a Cell match. His match against Taka on uh, Monday Night Raw and just... Tons of great stuff, him coming into his own. and The, Jer- like, the, well, Jer- the Jericho awesome. title switch. Yeah, the Jericho title switch as well. Yeah. He had the Radicals coming in, and kind of it's almost like they brought a fifth guy because they kind of saved Jericho's run at that point. And um, the 10-man tag on Raw, and just, um, I think it had those big moments, like the 
the ten man tag on Raw was a major oversight. I have to say that that Raw was that might be the best Raw of all time. Yeah, and I just I mean the talent roster was just so stacked. You had the the TLC coming in. You had the tag division revolving around the Hardys, Dudleys, and um, Edge and Christian at the time. Just so much talent, and um, I mean. He, <laughs> Sorry, they weren't revolutionary. They were just putting on like a super show while the competition was self-destructing at the time. Like, it's just like, yeah, I've I still have comp tapes stored away of TV stuff from 2000 that was just so good. If I ever find a VCR, I'll gladly bust them out again. But uh, I mean, this was easy for me. I'm I'm a little surprised it wasn't uh, the best. But you you make some valid points. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind it is still my number three. It's still like yeah. super high. Uh, Justin, what about you? I don't even know how to encapsulate into just a blurb for it. Um, Because you know the conventional wisdom that like wrestling is never more meaningful to you than the first wrestling you got into. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe for a lot of wrestling lifers, there's two, which is the little kid and then maybe the teenage appreciation of it. So like all my memories and, and weird recall of the 90s stuff that Joe and I have recorded podcasts and podcasts and podcasts about is um, that was one thing, but then uh, see, it seems so demeaning to me and to humanity to associate coming <laughs> of age periods with the attitude era of professional wrestling. But I just, yeah, being in high school and being like, what? This is crazy. In 98 and 99 was... Um, so entertaining and then it, it dovetailed in 2000 where it was like you can have everything you want they can be so exciting and have so much more upward mobility than wcw and we'll just take a bunch of their guys and put them in prominent spots and you won't have the foresight that their like potential would be capped somewhere like you know just chris benoit can show up and be a main eventer he pinned the rock in march i think um and people remember the losing a Triple H in his first match, but then he I'm pretty sure he like dragon suplexed the rock and pinned him after his distraction just a few weeks after that. And so. he he got the pin in the uh, Dallas match too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Uh so yeah, um you I don't think it's just a conventional wisdom to think like, oh, all the wrestling since this year hasn't um meant as much just because I was older and had seen the same patterns play out over and over again, I think it was just happens to be a coincidence that my year, when I was 17, 18, and 2000, happened to be their most fulfilling and uh, creatively good year at the same time. Oh, yeah. Um, it was legitimately never this good again. They uh, their, their mechanism for like creative stuff was kind of tainted after this, I think. It is the beginning of like the great downfall, like you say. Um, R- Russo is replaced by, I mean, the the most famous person that I'm sure me and most other people would not even recognize if we saw a picture of him, but Chris Kresge and his fabled storyboards. Um, and there was just such a. Um, I talked about the pattern booking of the '80s, and it wasn't quite the same here because with all the TV and and weekly Raws and things were being rewritten. If you read Mick Foley's book, you see that the whole fabled, like him versus Triple H and the return of Cactus Jack was all made up on the fly when Steve Austin got hurt and then changed again when um, Eddie Guerrero broke his arm in his second match. But so the, the thing here was that like, 
everybody was in orbit of each other. And the, the criticism of the Cena Orton era is like they they're better than everyone and they beat everyone. Whereas in 2000, before some of the politics of a guy that is um, criticized a lot to the point where I think it becomes kind of an in-joke, but criticized for a reason, his name is Triple H, your NXT dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he did ruin a lot of things. Um, so before he kind of became his own meme as far as holding guys down, in quotation marks, and saying they were too short or whatever, too blonde... It would be like Rock and Triple H refuting and Jericho and Benoit refuting. And then instead of having Rock and Triple H beat Benoit and Jericho respectively, then they would like all intermingle and trade wins. So even though Rock and Triple H were the main event and Jericho and Benoit were the upper mid card, there was still the idea that if, say, Rock was leaving for a week to film The Scorpion King, Jericho could pinch hit viably for him. And fully loaded where the three established guys beat the three up-and-coming guys um, sort of negates the point I'm trying to make. But they also, rising rising tide lifts all ships, that generation of dudes um, up with them, even if it wasn't by traditional Misawa pin Saruta standards. (laughs) We had to work a little harder to get there. Um, And they breathed life into the company. And then the only other thing I wanted to add to what you said, Matt, was it's not just that um, uh, Sean and Brett are gone and Austin is gone, but you have the Rock and Triple H, and almost with the turn of the calendar year, they both just collectively decided to be a lot better than they'd ever been before as far as workers and all-around performers. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah, I, mean I, I don't want to step on what you said, but it's – it's, it should not be understated how much better The Rock suddenly got when the uh, when the Radicals came in. Like, he went from being, I think, a super charismatic but fairly mediocre wrestler in the ring to being a very, very good wrestler in the ring and still, like, the most charismatic wrestler ever. So I, I think that's a really important thing that happened this year. And I think I've literally run out of breath trying to sum up my affection for this into um, some kind of explanation here. Yeah. Uh, but th- And then, oh, and uh, it more goes to 2001, but it's also took Steve Austin, who is the best dude, uh, but because of all of his you know, neck breakings, couldn't really do much more than work really hard in walk-around brawls and go into the crowd and then come back in the crowd and then you go to your stunner finish. He... Um, I guess there was just a couple glimpses of it in 2000, but they even put him in the rock triple H machine that suddenly made him a great worker too. And then I know the last time I voted in the wrestling observer awards was when I voted for Steve Austin for wrestler of the year, 2001, and then went to Kaiji Muto instead. And I was like, fuck this. I'll never invest in this again. (laughs) Wow. Even I didn't know that about you, Justin. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, one thing, so one more negative thing I'll say before I get into positive stuff is, it was the first glimpse of like the WCW disease coming to the WWF as far as like there being a limit to how elevated these guys are going to get because I mean fully loaded you know there are two amazing matches uh, with Jericho and Triple H and Benoit and The Rock 
but you know, you had three matches where you know the new guys were wrestling the the legends, and none of them won. And I really think one of them should have. I think it's okay for not all of them to. And Angle getting squashed like that, it was like it just really left a sour taste in people's mouths. So that was one negative aspect of the year. But otherwise, I mean, it was amazing. And I think the thing that I felt the most about 2000 was like relief. Because you know, '99 was like, oh, you know what? Wrestling is not for me anymore. <laughs> if this, is, and then just you're right. 2000 felt like you could have your cake and eat it too. They suddenly realized, oh, we have a lot of good wrestlers now. Let's have wrestling matches, and that was great. And the booking was better. They made it made more sense. Um, you know, I remember there was a period where Russo was trying to take credit for all of you know the momentum WWF was enjoying in 2000. And I remember just saying like, hey, you know, too cool was a gimmick that showed up after Russo. Angle showed up after Russo. The Radicals showed up after Russo. Jericho's character was completely different. You know, Triple H's character was becoming completely different. Um, and the other thing I want to say about 2000 is what a amazing con- contribution Mick Foley made that year. Because he pretty much set the tone. He got Triple H over. He brought it back to like serious, you know, grudges and main events and had two, you know, two of the best main events they had in years. And then, you know, right when things were starting to seem maybe a little bit going off the rails, he came back as the commissioner and threw in a lot of life in that situation. And, you know, he, you know, as, you know, mostly outside of the ring, really helped out a lot that year. And, um, you know, helped get Edge and Christian to the point where they were, um, helped get the Hardys to the Dudleys to the point where they were, um... Yeah, so I mean, like I said, excellent, amazing year. Just, uh, just you know, I had it at number three. That's all. Give me a break. Number three. Um, Hello to this fucking guy, Joe. <laughs> yeah, glad we browbeat him for his bad opinions. <laughs> Thank you. I um, also, and I meant to justify <laughs> this, so I wanted to also, and I'm being serious, tell a full circle story from 1999 as my number 10 to 2000 as number one. Sure. Because they're so different and like, as I said, 1999 got so crazy, <laughs> bonkers nuts that then, like whatever breath they had to take when Russo left and they um, had to rewrite the, like triple or Test and Stephanie were gonna have a, a wedding in October I think, and then Russo left and they're like, fuck, what do we do? Uh, hit her in the head of the garbage can. So whatever they sorted out in those two months to come back with then um, Triple H doing the angle to actually get him over as the top heel with the wedding and putting them on a course that uh that mcmahon helmsley delio like they they made a bunch of stars i i love what joe said about the radicals bringing jericho with them because yes it was that and and it was once jericho or uh hunter and stephanie were together that jericho could start hating both of those guys and um get himself back on track and of course almost immediately they started the seeds of her being like oh this kurt angle he's pretty cool and him being like huh and and so on and so forth, and uh, how that trickled down to Edge and Christian, the Hardys and the Dudleys, and everybody throughout the company. Yeah, they made a bunch of stars, and fancy that. And they made a family. <laughs> <laughs> so that's something too. Um, they made a bunch of stars in their matches too. I would say two thousand one probably had more match of the year candidate level matches, but two thousand was just constant great wrestling. And 2000 was like, it was like new for the WWF to have that many yep. great matches. So it was really exciting. Um, Joe, do you have anything else you want to say before we uh, run down our lists? 
No, I think we've uh, we've covered the history of a company in depth. Oh, pretty close to it anyway. As much as best as we could in an hour and 45 minutes. Um, all right, so I'll run down my top 10 first. Um, so my number 10 was 1992. My number 9 was 2012. My number 8 was 1991. Number 7, 2005. Number 6, 2001. Number 5, 1987. Number 4, 1989. Number 3, 2000. Um, number 2, 1998. And number 1, 1997. Uh, Joe, uh, what... Run down your list. Number 10, I had 1984. Number 9, 2002. Number 8, 1987. Number 7, 1992. Number 6, 2005. Number 5, 1989. Number 4, 1997. 3, 1998. 2, 2001. And number 1, 2000. And Justin. I deleted all of mine as I went on. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I well, think I've hit the undo. Oh, you, if you have them for sure. Yeah, I, I have it. it. All right. Tell me, correct me if this is wrong. Uh-huh. 1999. 2013, 2008, 2001, 2002 SmackDown combined with 2004 Raw. No, you skipped one. Oh, what was it? So you said oh, 87. Nine, yeah, right. 87 was your number six. And then 2002 SmackDown, 2004 Raw. Gotcha. Then 89, 98, 97, 00. Correct. Is, uh, I think uh, 1999 was on there by mistake. Yeah. Hmm? I'm checking my numbers, and yeah. You meant to, Did you, you guys see the buy rates of these shows? You meant, you meant to put two, Justin, in 1992. Um, <laughs> yep. I'm looking at the quarter hour for this um, Austin versus Undertaker title change, and it's mind-blowing. <laughs> and you guys are telling me this isn't good, and I guess you, have lo- um, you don't want to do good things. Well, this was great, guys. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I thought this would be like a half-hour show. We were just kind of all... Agree on the same years and move on. But, no way, uh, Jose. Solid discussion. I think Joe Joe always thinks that these things are going to be quick, and then we just keep them on here for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> um, but no, I really appreciate it. You guys are the all stars, um, and uh, I uh, I really enjoy listening to podcasts between the two of you. So it was great to do it while on the Skype line. Well, that's great news because there's like eight hours of them in the last two weeks. Yeah, and I'm sure there's going. <laughs> yeah, when are we going to get that next part of 1997? No, there was so much. You didn't. You didn't talk about the Bariquas at all. So, um, <laughs> well, they haven't shown up yet. No, that's what I'm saying. So, there's, also, there's, Matt, Matt does a really good show. Like he's he's being all self deprecating, but this is a fine, fine show. I hope a lot of people listen to. Oh, thank you. I was excited when he asked me about it because I thought for the holiday season it would be the ultimate crossover between Jovers the World, which is a year based program, Listem which is listing things, and then me just fucking things up. So <laughs> Fucking things up in like in the place. good way. Like I'm going to fuck up, I'm going to fuck it up by having a, an right. amazing rock and roll show. <laughs> yep. Uh, so uh, thank you guys again. <laughs> I do. Can uh, this be called Yearly Beloved? Does that work for you? <laughs> thank you. I will do it. Yay. Um, so, so this is Yearly Beloved, and uh, thank you to Justin. Thank you to Joe. Thank you to all of you for listening. Thank you to... The many years we've spent watching wrestling, including in our adulthoods, which is sad. Um, and uh, thank you to the Cubs fan, by the way. Happy New Year to everybody, and uh, we'll be seeing you more in 2016, assuming that we remain alive. Uh, until Did then, you know he's he's running. Oh, you're doing your end. He's running out of bandwidth, and one of us is getting the axe soon. So <laughs> hope you showed up for this one. <laughs> um, it would probably be me. Um, read but, a damn book. Yeah. Until then, read a damn book if you want to learn something. Bye.